0: Chapter Two of the Diamond Cross Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rebecca King. The Diamond Cross Mystery by Chester K. Steele. Chapter Two King's Dagger. Carol and Thong, proceeding along the lines they usually followed in cases like this, keeping to the rules which had come to them through instructions of superior officers, and some which they had worked out for themselves, had, in a comparatively short time, ascertained the name, age, and somewhat of the personal history of Mrs. Amelia Darcy, together with that of her cousin, as the detectives called him, though the relationship was not as close as that. Mrs. Darcy, who is sixty-five years of age, had carried on the jewelry business of her husband, Mortimer Darcy, after his death, which preceded her more tragic one by about seven years. Mortimer Darcy had been a diamond salesman for a large New York house in his younger days, and had come to be an expert in precious stones. Many good wishes, and not a little trade, had gone to him from his former employers, and some of their customers bought of him when he went into business for himself in the thriving city of Colchester. Knowing that to start anew in a strange town would mean uphill work for him and his wife, Mortimer Darcy had awaited an opportunity to buy the business of a man whom he had known for a number of years, and to whom he had sold many diamonds and other stones. This man, Harrison Van Doren by name, had what was termed the best jewelry trade in Colchester. The old families, not that any of them could trace their ancestry back very far, Liked to say that we get all our stuff at Van Doren's. This name, on little white plush-lined boxes containing pens or sparkling rings, came to mean almost as much as some of the more expensive names in New York. Young ladies counted it a point in the favor of their lovers if the engagement circlet came from Van Doren's, and Mortimer Darcy, knowing the value of that class of trade, had, when he purchased Mr. Van Doren's business, fostered that spirit. Mrs. Darcy, on the death of her husband, had further catered to it, so that the Darcy establishment, though it was not the richest or most showy in Colchester, was safely counted the most exclusive. That is, it had a full line of the best goods, be it clocks or diamonds, and it had what, in bygone days, was called a carriage trade, but which is now referred to as automobile. That is to say, those, aside from a casual trade with people who dropped in as they might have done to a grocery to get what they really needed in the way of jewelry, came in gasoline or electric cars where their ancestors had come with horses and carriage. So Darcy's jewelry store was known, and though a bit old-fashioned in a way, was favorably known, not only to the older members of the rich families of the place, but to the younger set as well. The pretty girls and their well-groomed companions of the assembly ball set, liked to stop in there, for their rings, brooches, scarf-pins, or cufflinks, and very frequent were the rather languid orders, "'You may send it charge.'" It was to that class of trade that Mrs. Darcy catered. She understood it, and it understood her. That was enough. She took a personal interest in the business, to the extent of being in the store almost every day, as her husband had been before her, to advise and be available for consultation whether it was the buying of a gold teething ring for the newest member of the family, an engagement ring for the latest debutante, a watch for son, attaining his majority, or perhaps new gold glasses for grandpapa or grandmama. The store was not a large one, and four clerks, one a young woman, with James Darcy and an assistant, who looked after the repair work and made anything unusual in the way of pins or rings, constituted the force. But Mrs. Darcy was as good as a clerk herself, and during the holiday rush she was in the store night and day. This was the easier for her, since she owned the building in which her display was kept, and lived in a quiet and tastefully furnished apartment over the store. On the death of her husband she had sent for his second cousin, who at that time was in the employ of a well-known New York jewelry house, and he agreed to come to her. Rather more than a repairman and clerk was James Darcy. He was an expert jewelry designer and a setter of precious stones, and often, when some fastidious customer did not seem to care for what was shown from the glittering trays in the showcases, Mrs. Darcy or one of her clerks would say, We will have Mr. Darcy design something different for you. That's what I want, the customer would say. Something different. Something you don't see everywhere. And so the Darcy trade had grown and prospered. "'Well, let's hear what you have to say,' said Carroll. after James Darcy had given what the detectives considered was, for the time, a sufficient history of himself and his relative, and had hastily gone over such of the stock as was kept outside the safe. The latter had not been forced open. It did not take long to ascertain that. "'Is anything gone?' "'I can't say for sure,' answered the young man. He was this side of thirty. His long artistic fingers were trembling, and he felt weak and faint.' but if there has been a robbery they didn't get much the safe hasn't been opened and the best of the goods all the diamonds and other stones are in that nothing seems to be gone from the cases though i'd have to make a better search and go over the inventory to make certain well let that go for the time how'd you find things when you came downstairs what happened during the night any of the doors or windows forced and the detective fairly shot these questions at darcy i think not The front door was locked, just as it is now. I went out the side one. That was locked with the spring catch from the inside. "'Wasn't it bolted?' came sharply from Thong. "'I didn't notice about all that. You see, I was all excited, like—' "'Yes!' assented Thong. "'There's a bolt on the door,' Carol snapped. "'Yes, but Mrs. Darcy may have slipped it back herself. She was down first, though why I can't say. She seldom came down ahead of me.' especially of late years. I generally opened this door. The clerks report at 8.30. There's some of them now." More knockings had sounded on the front door, and the faces of two young men peered in through the misty glass, the crowd having made a lane for them on learning that they worked in the place of death. "'Let them in, sure,' assented Thong. "'We got to talk to all of them. Let them in!' Darcy did so, Mulligan helping him keep back the crowd of curious ones. "'Here comes Miss Brill,' said one of the men clerks to Darcy. "'What's the matter? Is Mrs. Darcy... dead? Killed, I'm afraid. The store won't open today, but the police want to see everyone. Oh, Miss Brill, come in.' And he held out his hand to the one young woman clerk, who drew back in horrified fright as she saw the silent figure on the floor. "'Oh! Oh!' she gasped, and then she went into hysterics. "'adding to the excitement and giving Mulligan a bad five minutes "'while he fought to keep the crowd from surging in. "'But when Miss Brill had been carried to a rear room and quieted, "'and when the shades had been drawn to keep the curious ones from peering in, "'the questioning of Darcy was resumed. "'Did you come directly down to the store from your room?' asked Thong. "'Yes, as soon as I awakened. "'Where is your room?' "'In the rear, on the second floor, the one next above.' Mrs. Darcy has her rooms in front. Then come those of her maid, Jane Metson. Sally Page sleeps on the top floor where the janitor's family lives, and he, of course, sleeps up there also. "'I see,' murmured Carol. "'Then you came downstairs and found Mrs. Darcy lying here dead.' "'I wasn't sure she was dead.' "'Oh, she was dead all right,' broke in thong. "'No question about that. "'Did you hear anything?' "'Only the watch ticking in her hand.' first I thought it was her heart beating. "'No! I mean, did you hear anything in the night?' went on the detective. Any queer noise? It's mighty funny if there was murder done and no robbery. But of course she might have heard a noise if you didn't, and she might have come down to find out what it was about. She might have caught a burglar at work, and he might have killed her to get away. But if it was a burglar, it's funny you didn't hear any noise. Like a fall or something. How about that, Mr. Darcy?' "'Well, no.' I didn't exactly hear anything. I went to bed about half-past ten, after working at my table down here a while." "'Was Mrs. Darcy in bed then?' Thong asked. "'I couldn't say. She had gone to her apartment, but I don't have to pass near that to get to my room. I came straight up and went to bed. At ten o'clock, you say?' "'A little after. It may have been a quarter to eleven. "'And you didn't hear anything all night?' Carol shot this question at Darcy suddenly. "'No, no, not exactly. I I did hear something. It wasn't exactly a noise. And yet it was a noise. What kind of talk is that? demanded Thong roughly. Either it was a noise, or it wasn't. Now which was it? Well, if you call a clock striking a noise, then it was one. Oh, a clock struck. And Thong settled back in his chair, more at his ease. His manner seemed to indicate that he was on the track of something. Yes, a clock struck. It was either three or four. "'I can't be sure which,' Darcy replied. "'You know when you awaken in the night and hear the strokes, "'you can't be sure you haven't missed some of the first ones? "'I heard three, anyhow. I'm sure of that.' "'Well, put it down as three, suggested Thong. "'Was it the striking of the clock that awakened you?' "'No, not exactly. "'It was more as if someone had been in my room.' "'Someone in your room!' exclaimed both detectives. They were questioning Darcy in the living room of Mrs. Darcy's suite, the clerks being detained downstairs by Mulligan. The county physician, who was also the coroner, had not yet arrived. Yes, at first I thought someone had been in my room, and then, after I thought about it, I wasn't quite sure. All I know is I slept quite soundly, sounder than usual, in fact, and, all at once, I heard a clock strike. three or four. murmured Thong. Yes, three, anyhow, maybe four. Something awakened me suddenly, but what, I can't say. I remember at the time it felt as though something had passed over my face. Like a hand? suggested Carol. Well, I couldn't be sure. It may have been I dreamed it. But what did it feel like? insisted Thong. Well, like a cloth brushing my face more than like a hand. Or it may have been a hand with a glove on it. Yes. It it may have been that. Then I tried to rouse myself, but I heard the wind blowing and a sprinkle of rain, and as my window was open, I thought the curtain might have blown across my face. That would account for it, I reasoned. So, yes, it may have been the curtain, said Thong slowly. But what did you do? Nothing. I lay still a little while, and then I went to sleep again. I was only awake maybe two or three minutes. You didn't call Mrs. Darcy? no nor the servant what's her name sally no there wasn't any use in that she's deaf and you didn't call the janitor no i wasn't very wide awake and i didn't really attach any importance to it until after i saw her dead um yes murmured carol well then you went to sleep again what did you do next i awakened with a sudden start just before six o'clock I had not set an alarm, though I wanted to get up early to do a little repair job I had promised for early this morning. But I've gotten so in the habit of rousing at almost any hour I mentally set for myself the night before, that I don't need an alarm clock. I had fixed in my mind on the fact that I wanted to get up at five-thirty, and I think it was just a quarter to six when I got up. I was anxious to finish the repair job for a man who was to leave on an early train this morning. He may be in any time now, and I haven't it ready for him. "'What sort of a repair job?' asked Carol. "'On a watch.' "'Where's the watch now?' And the detective flicked the ashes from a cigar the reporter had given him. Daly was down in the jewelry store, interviewing the clerks, while Darcy was on the grill up above. "'The watch,' murmured Darcy, "'it—it's in her hand.' And he nodded in the direction of the silent figure downstairs. "'The watch that is still ticking?' "'Yes.' But the funny part of it is that the watch wasn't going last night, when I planned to start work on it. I forget just why I didn't do it. And Darcy seemed a bit confused, a point not lost sight of by Carol. I guess it must have been because I couldn't see well with the electric light on my work table, went on the jewelry worker. I've got to get that fixed. Anyhow, I didn't do anything to the Indian's watch more than look at it, and I made up my mind to rise early and hurry it through, so I didn't even wind it. I can't understand what makes it go, unless someone got in and wound it. And they wouldn't do that. Whose watch is it? asked Thong. It belongs to Singa-Futt. Singa-Futt! ejaculated Carol. Crimps, what a name! Who belongs to it? Singa-Futt is an East Indian, explained Darcy. He has a curio store down on Water Street. We have bought some odd things from him for our customers, queer bead necklaces and the like. He left the watch with my cousin, who told me to repair it. It needed a new case-spring, and some of the screws were loose. "'How did Mrs. Darcy have to come the watch in her hand?' Carol demanded. "'That I couldn't say.' "'What sort of a man is this Indian... Singa... Singa...,' began Thong hesitantly. Singa "'Singafa is a quiet, studious Indian,' answered Darcy. "'He has not lived here very long, but I knew him in New York. "'He has done business with me for some years.' "'Is he all right? Safe?' "'Not one of them gars—you know, the fellows that use a silk cord to strangle you with?' asked Thong, who had some imagination regarding garroters "'Not at all like that,' said Darcy, and there was a trace of a smile on his face. "'He is a gentleman.' "'Oh,' said Carol and Thong in unison. There came another knock on the side door downstairs. There was less of a crowd about now, and Mulligan did not have to keep back a rush as he opened the portal. "'Dr. Warren!' reported the policeman, calling upstairs to Carol and Thong. "'The county physician,' explained Carol. "'Better come down and meet him, Mr. Darcy. He'll want to ask you some questions. Then we'll have another go at you.' "'Got to ask a lot of questions in a case like this,' he half apologized. "'Oh, sure,' assented the jewelry worker. "'Doc Warren, eh?' Mused Thong to his partner as Darcy preceded them downstairs. "'Now we'll know what killed her, and then we'll have something to start on.' Maybe." "'I think we've got something already,' observed Carol. "'Oh, yes, maybe. And then again. Maybe not. Come on!' "'Morning, boys. Nice crisp day, if you say it quick,' cried the county physician as he shook the rain from his coat and tossed his auto-gloves on a shiny glass showcase. Second time this week you've got me out of bed before my time. What's the matter if they've got to have a murder with doing it in the afternoon? I like my sleep.' He was smiling and cheerful, was Dr. Warren. Murders and autopsies were all in the day's work with him. He had been county physician for a number of years. "'Hum, yes, quite an old lady,' he mused, as he took off his coat, which Carol held for him. The doctor rolled up his shirt-sleeves and stooped down. "'Head's badly cut. Let's see what we have here. Let's have a light. It's too dark to see.' One of the clerks switched on more electric lights, and they glinted and sparkled on the silver and cut glass. They flashed on the white, still face, and the gleams seemed to be swallowed up in that red blotch in the snowy hair. Um, yes, depressed fracture. Bad place, too. Shouldn't wonder, but it had done the trick. Might have been from a blackjack, and he glanced questioningly at the detectives. Carroll shook his head in negation. That'll crack a skull, but it won't draw blood. Not if it's used right. And he brought from his hip pocket one of the weapons in question a short, stout, flexible reed, covered with leather, the end forming a pocket in which was a chunk of lead. "'I'll gamble it wasn't one of them,' said Carroll. "'Maybe not,' assented the doctor. "'Let's look a bit further.' He glanced at the floor about the body, peered around the edge of a showcase, underneath which there was a space for refuse. Odds and ends, discarded wrapping paper and the like, a place into which neither of the detectives had as yet glanced dr warren uttered an exclamation and drew out a metal statue about two feet high it was that of a hunter standing as though he had just delivered a shot and was peering to see the effect the butt of his gun projected behind him and as dr warren moved the statue into the light of the jewelry store chandeliers they all saw clinging to the stock of the gun some straggling white hairs that's what did it exclaimed the county physician I'll wager, when I try, I can fit that gun butt into the depression of the fracture. The burglar, or whoever it was, swung this statue as a club. It would make a deadly one using the foot-end for a handle. And Dr. Warren waved the ornament in the air over the dead woman's head to illustrate what he meant. Don't, muttered Darcy in a strained voice. Don't what? asked the physician sharply. Use the statue that way. Why not? "'Well, er, I—we—were going to buy it for our new home. But now—oh, I never want to see it in the house. I couldn't bear to look at it, nor could she.' "'She? We? What do you mean?' asked Carol quickly. "'Say, do you know something about this killing that you're keeping back from us?' He took a step nearer Darcy—a threatening step, it would seem, from the fact that the jewelry worker drew back as if in alarm. "'No, I don't know anything,' said Darcy in a low voice. Then what's this talk about the statue? Not wanting it in the house. Whose house? The house I hope to live in with my wife, Miss Amy Mason, answered Darcy, and he spoke in calm contrast to his former excitement. We are going to be married in the fall, he went on. I had asked Mrs. Darcy to set that statue aside for me. Miss Mason admired it, and I planned to buy it. We had the place all picked out where it would stand. But now— he did not finish, but a shudder seemed to shake his frame. It would be a rather gruesome object to have around after it killed the old lady," murmured the reporter. "But are you sure it did, Doc? Pretty sure, yes. I never make a statement though until after the autopsy. No telling what that may develop. I'll get at it right away. I guess you remember that Murray case," he went on to no one in particular. There, they all thought the man was murdered when, as a matter of fact. He had been taken with a heart spell, fell downstairs, and a knife he had in his hand pierced his heart. "'That wasn't your case, Doc,' observed Carol. "'No, it was before my time. But I remember it. That's why I'm saying nothing until I've made an examination. Better phone the morgue-keeper,' he went on, "'and have them come for the body.' "'Have you—have you got to take her away?' faltered Darcy. "'Yes, I'm sorry, but it wouldn't do—here.' and the doctor motioned to the glittering array of cut glass and plate you won't keep the store open he inquired no i'll put a notice in the door now and darcy wrote out one which a clerk affixed to the front door for him well that's all i can do now dr warren said after his very perfunctory examination the rest will have to be at the morgue got a place where i can wash my hands he asked darcy indicated a little closet near his workbench. dr warren soon resumed his coat accepted his cigarette from Daly, slipped into his still damp rain garment, and was soon throbbing down the street in his automobile, having announced that he was going to breakfast and would perform the autopsy immediately afterward. Soon a black wagon rattled up to the jewelry store, bringing fresh acquaintances to the crowd, which persisted in staying in spite of the rain which had now turned from a drizzle to a more pronounced downpour. More reporters came, and Daly fraternized with them the newspaper men, aside from the police and Jim Holliday, a detective from Prosecutor Barden's office, being the only people admitted to the shop when the clerks had been sent home. The moor-keeper's men lifted the fast stiffening body and were about to place it in the wicker carrier when Carol, who was watching them rather idly, uttered an exclamation. "'What's up?' asked Thong, quickly. He had been strolling about the shop and had come to a stop near Darcy's work-table a sort of bench against the wall and behind one of the showcases the bench was fitted with a lathe and on it were parts of watches like the dead specimens preserved in alcohol in a doctor's office what's up bill look exclaimed carol pointing the men from the morgue had the body raised in the air and then in the gleam from the electric lights there was revealed underneath and in the left side of the dead woman a clean slit through her light dress a slit the edges of which were stained with blood "'Another wound!' exclaimed Daly, his newspaper instincts quickly aroused by this addition of evidence of mystery. "'This is getting interesting!' "'It's a cut—a deep one, too,' murmured Carol, as he drew nearer to look. "'Wonder what did it?' "'Shouldn't wonder, but it was done with this!' And Thong held out, on the palm of his large hand, a slender dagger, on the otherwise bright blade of which were some dark stains. "'Where'd you get it?' demanded Carroll. "'Over on the watch repair table.' "'Darcy gasped. "'Is that your dagger?' snapped Carol at the jewelry worker. "'It isn't a dagger. It's a paper cutter. A magazine knife. "'Well, whatever it is, who owns it?' "'The words were as crisp as the steel of the stained blade.' "'Darcy stared at the keen knife and then at the dead woman. "'Who owns it?' and the question was snapped like a whip. "'I don't. It was left here by—' There was a commotion at the side door, which had been opened by Mulligan in order that the men might carry out the body of Mrs. Darcy. There was a shuffling of feet, and a rather thick and unsteady voice asked, "'What's the matter here? Place on fire? Looks like devil to pay. Lemme in. Sh'all right, officer? Got a right to come in, I have. I got something here. valuable too. Don't want all that burned. Spoils things haven't burned.' "'Lo, Darcy,' went on a young man, who walked unsteadily into the jewelry store. "'Where's the paper-cutter I left for you to grave Pearl's name on? "'Got take it home now. "'Got take her home some... some shing square myself. "'Been out all night. "'You know how, Tish. "'Take wifely home, little Prussian. "'You know how, Tish. "'Gotta please wifely when you... <coughs> "'Been out all night. "'Where's my gold-mounted paper-cutter, Darcy?' Harry King, and stewed to the gills again,' murmured Pete daily. "'Wow, he has some bun on.' "'Where's my paper-cutter, Darcy?' went on King, smiling in a fashion meant to be merry, but which was fixed and glassy as to his eyes. "'Where's my little precious for wifely? got her name all graved on it, nice and pretty. "'Dash what'll square wifely when I'm out (coughs) ick all night. "'Where's my paper-cutter, Darcy, old man?' Silently, the jewelry worker pointed to the stained dagger. It was really that, though designed for a paper cutter. The detective held it out, and the red spots on it seemed to show brighter in the gleam of the electric lights. "'Is that your knife, Harry King?' demanded Thong. "'Sure, that's mine. Bought it in little old New York last week. Didn't have no name on it. Brought it here for my old friend Darcy Tengrave. Put wife Lee's name on it. Her name is Pearl.' P-E-A-R-L. And he spelt it out laboriously and thickly. My wife, she likes them things. Me? I got no use from. Gimme oyster fork, or clam for that matter, and a bread and butter knife, I'm all right. But got a square wife somehow. Take her home nice prescient. That's me. Sure, that's mine and carefully trying to balance himself, he reached forward as though to take the stained dagger from the hand of the detective. "'You got Pearl's name engraved on it, Darcy, old asked King thickly, licking his hot and feverish lips. "'No,' answered the jewelry worker hollowly. Then Harry King, seemingly for the first time, became aware that not all was well in the place he had entered. He turned and saw the body of the murdered woman as the men from the morgue started out with it. He started back as though someone had struck him a blow. "'Is she—is she dead?' he gasped. "'Dead? Mrs. Darcy?' "'Looks that way,' said Carol in cool tones. "'You'd better come in here and sit down a while, Harry,' he went on, and he led the unsteady young man to the rear room, while the men from the morgue carried out the lifeless body. End of Chapter 2 King's Dagger